Uh, yes, we're going to continue our series that we've done through 1 John. And we called the series For His Glory and for Our Benefit. And I believe God has been glorified through this study. I believe we're teaching through His Word and nothing glorifies Him more than proclaiming His truth, which we're going to do again today. But the great thing about God's glory is that it comes packaged with our benefit and our blessing. And so as we go through 1 John, John and God Himself are teaching us God's truth and that truth is benefiting our soul, and we're so thankful for that. So this is a powerful series. Our lesson today is going to be called The Power of Abiding in Christ. Or The Power of Abiding. The Power of Abiding in Christ. And we'll get to the text here in a little bit. We're going to be in 1 John 2 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 28, excuse me, 26 to 28. 1 John 2, 26 to 28. Before we get to the text, though, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the great dads out there. I had one of the best dads in the world, and I'm so grateful for that. So our icebreaker is going to go with Father's Day today, if that's okay, all right? It usually kind of goes into the lesson a little bit. Today is going to be all about Father's Day, and our icebreaker is going to be this today. You guys remember Jeff Foxworthy? Who remembers Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a... Wow. You guys might have his books, right? You might be a redneck if. You guys remember that, right? Well, I'm going to go on the spirit of Jeff Foxworthy today and say you might be the father of eight children if... Not thinking of anyone specific, just a general guy with eight children. Okay, you might be the father of eight children if, number one, you can remember every single story from college, but not your kids' middle names and birthdays. (laughs) Don't quiz me. Yeah, it's a lot of kids to remember. Number two, you might be the father of eight children if your wife walks in on you while you're watching DuckTales and playing with Legos. And that's happened on occasion. Number three, you might be the father of eight children if you single-handedly shut down Toys R Us when you move to the North Country. <laughs> you notice Toys R Us is no longer around. Yeah, right around the same time we moved. Sorry, Toys R Us. We used to give them quite a bit of business. Number four, you might be the father of eight children if your grocery trip requires an extra cart, which it does, and working a shift to get the employee discount. That's right. Number five, you might be the father of eight children if you're more terrified of laundry day than death. (laughs) Laundry day in the Walker home is nothing, nothing good. Um, It's a very scary thing. Number six, you might be the father of eight children if your love language is Advil and heating pads. (laughs) You want to know how to minister to your pastor? (laughs) Keep that Advil and heating pads coming. Number seven, you might be the father of eight children if date night with your wife requires a curfew and a chaperone. That one didn't land. Sometimes you miss. Don't think too hardly about that one. Number eight, you might be the father of eight children if Father's Day present is a peaceful trip to the bathroom. It's like vacation for me now. I take a bunch of books in there. Number nine, you might be the father of eight children if your wife considers you the best dad ever simply because you come home after work. (laughs) It's a low bar when you have eight kids. And number 10, you might be the father of eight children if your homeschool principal recently demanded a raise. (laughs) We'll talk, Janine. Abiding in Christ is our lesson today. We're going to go through 1 John as we have been for many weeks and we're not even halfway yet. First John is not a very big book, but we're going slowly so as to get many things out of it. What have I encouraged you to do through the book of First John? Yes, read it once a week. Once a week. I believe 
when I give you homework like this, it is going to benefit you. So I really encourage you. Joel, you are? I read it. You read the whole thing? All right, Joel. Anyone else who's, who's read First John straight through? Good job. Absolutely. Keep that going. That's homework that's going to benefit you. I used to think that about homework. It doesn't benefit me. This one will, okay? Read 1 John 1 a week if you can. It's going to be a blessing to your soul. Let's read our text today. It's 1 John 2. We're starting in verse 26, and we're going to go to verse 28. John says this. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Today's lesson is called abiding or the power of abiding. We have a three-part outline we want to get to today. Number one, we're going to look at the deceiver's game. The deceiver's game. Number two, our sufficient Jesus And number three, the result of abiding in him. That's our outline today. Let's talk about number one, the deceiver's game. John has been talking about the Antichrist for the last couple lessons. He's going to continue this discussion today as he reminds us that there's a deceiver or deceivers out there that are seeking to distract and deter us and and to get our focus away from Christ. John says in verse 26, he says this, I write these things to you, Christian, child of God. We are John's audience, specifically Christians are his audience. We are the object of John's discourse here. But this is John's subject. He says, I write to you about these things, about those who are trying to deceive you. There are many that are trying to deceive us out there, and most of them are spirit. Most of them we can't even see. But there are many out there in the spiritual realm that are trying to deceive us away from the path of Christ. Now, if you look up the word deceive, you will be surprised by its definition, but it says this in the dictionary. It says, of a person, to cause someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. Isn't that interesting? To believe something that's not true in order to gain some personal advantage. Now, what would be the deceiver's advantage? What would be he would get out of this deception? Well, I think... Just as we've titled our series to the book of 1 John, number one is he would steal God's glory. You have to understand that's what started this whole thing with Lucifer and Satan. He wanted his own glory. He did not want God to receive his glory. So his end game, his goal, is to steal God's glory, to take it away. And so if he can distract us and, and deceive us away from the path of Christ, then he can steal God's glory. Number two is to rob our benefits. The devil hates us. And so if he can take away those benefits that God has for us by simply distracting us and deceiving us, then he would get a tremendous amount of joy from that. Now, if anyone is anyone a fisherman, anyone like to fish? Raise your hand if you like to fish. There's a few of us. Yes. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but the whole concept of fishing is deception. Am I right? Think about this concept. When you go fishing, you do not put a hook in the water, do you? That's not going to be an effective strategy for catching fish. And why is that? Because fish, even though they're not brilliant animals, they're smart enough to know, I do not bite into hooks. Okay? I do not bite into blatant hooks. So what does the fisherman have to do in order to catch the fish? He has to deceive the fish. I hate to call all fishermen deceivers, but we are, and I fish too sometimes. 
Um, but we are, because so, what do we do with that hook? What do we do with that hook? We bait it. We cover the part that's nasty, the part they don't want to see, and we put something nice and pleasurable for the fish on top of that hook. So the fish thinks, oh, this fisherman really loves me. <laughs> this fisherman really wants to benefit me. This fisherman really wants to give me a, a nice gift today. When in all reality, that's not the truth. We want to catch you and possibly eat you. So we put a little juicy worm on there that's wiggling around and the fish bites into it and you know the rest of the story. Well, that's exactly what the devil is seeking to do. Although, he doesn't use worms, does he? He's got his own version of things that he likes to use. And yes, most of it's evil. But even what he does and how he baits the hook is very crafty because if he puts blatant sin on the hook, that still is probably not enough to deceive us. So he has to get creative. And the devil does get creative. He does learn our habits. He learns our pressure points. He learns what we are most prone to desire. And then he baits the hook with those things. Now, yeah, when you were little, I'm, sh I'm guessing you heard the same thing from your mom and dad that I heard from my parents growing up, which is what? Don't take candy or even talk to strangers. And why is that? Because there are many bad people in this world. And these bad people, again, are trying to deceive and possibly hurt our young children. So that is probably the sketchiest looking band I have ever seen in my life. If you see such a thing roll into your neighborhood, call the cops. Because I'm guessing that guy does not have good intentions. Uh, do not go after those kids who say they have free candy. That's not going to go well. Listen to your parents. Don't talk to strangers. And the reason is because we're trying to protect you. We're trying to protect our children from possible harm from those who have ill intentions against our kids. Well, who's a better fa father than God the Father? Nobody. God is, God is the best father that ever existed and will ever exist. And he is trying to do the same thing for us through the book of 1 John. So he says, be careful about those who are trying to deceive you. Because he has candy for you. We're going to look at a couple things that I would believe the devil would have free candy on his van towards those he's trying to deceive. And I'm going to look at three categories of things that the, de the devil, the deceiver, his antichrist, would love to use against people of God, people that are following Jesus Christ to lure us off the path. Number one, spiritual experiences. Did you know that? Did you know the devil can, will, and does use spiritual experiences to lure us off the true path of Christ? Now, why would he do such a thing? Why not just use sin, the sin of this world? Why give us spiritual experiences? Because most of us understand that the world is too shallow for our soul. We need something deep. We need something profound. We need something otherworldly. Well, the devil has learned that. And he doesn't stop short of just giving us earthly blessings. He wants to give us spiritual experience as well. In fact, if you walk around the town of Littleton and many New England towns, what will you see in many of the shops? Spirituality. Will you not? Spiritual things, spiritual experiences, spiritual books, spiritual practices. And sadly, most of them are not biblical. Most of them are experiences to lure us away from the true spiritual experience that we can have in Jesus. You'll find this in the Bible when we talked about the Antichrist. We brought up this passage. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he's warning them about the Antichrist, the coming of the lawless one, he calls it, who is a person, a human being. And he says this person will come, boots on the ground, and this lawless one will be by the activity of Satan. Make no mistake about it. There is a primary deceiver out there 
who has ill intentions for all in Christians and all the, all the world. And so he's going to send this person called the lawless one, the Antichrist, into the world with the activity of Satan. And notice what he will come with. All power. False signs and wonders. And with wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now thankfully... Although this is going to be a really, really impressive deception, there are those who can notice it. There are those who can notice the deception, and those are the ones who we'll talk about here in a little bit who have been anointed by God, who have been given his Holy Spirit. We will be able to notice the power, the false signs, and the wonders. But isn't it interesting that the devil will use false power, false signs, false wonders to lure us off the trap? I think that's interesting for the devil because he has to help us understand that there's something otherworldly that we want. And we're going to get it. We're going to get it one way or the other. We're going to get something that benefits us beyond this world. And if you know about that, there's a whole chunk of people in this world who claim to be atheists. But most people, I would even say more than nine-tenths of the people in this world, believe there's something on the other side. And we all think that way towards the end of our life, don't we? The closer we get to the end of our life, the more we believe that. I hope and I believe there's something on the other side. And when you lose a loved one, you definitely believe that. I believe it's not the end. So all of us know inwardly that there is something beyond the realm of this physical world. And of course, the very fact that there is a devil should prove that to us. The very fact that there has to be a spiritual enemy luring us away from the truth has to authenticate that there is also a real, true, godly path. But it's interesting to me that the Lord, the devil, excuse me, will use spiritual experiences to lure us off the path. He'll also use earthly prosperity. Because sometimes that's all it takes. That's all it takes to get people to follow the path that is contrary to the one that Jesus has called us to. So he'll make us rich. He'll make us happy. He'll give us all the blessings of this world. He'd love to do that. He'll love to make that trade. You know that? The devil doesn't want you unhappy. On the contrary, he wants you very happy, as long as it's in the wrong kind of realm. He would love to give you the earthly prosperity because he knows he's making a very good trade. Now, when I was younger, I did this to my brother. I confess it. I own up to it. He was younger than me by two years. Anyone else do this? I told my brother that he could give me his small, puny, nothing dimes for my big, glorious, beautiful nickels. Because the nickel was bigger than the dime, and that was my logic I used to Travis, and it worked. He took all those little dimes, gave me to all my big nickels, and Travis lost a bunch that day, <laughs> and many days following. <laughs> was I trying to help my brother, Travis? No, I was trying to deceive Travis into thinking that this is better than this. Well, it's an age-old game, and it works, and the devil's doing that exact same thing. He wants you to have earthly prosperity. Why does he want you to have earthly prosperity? So that you don't have heavenly prosperity. It's that simple. He'd rather you have happiness and glory and fun and treasures now and be able to steal all of the great ones that never fade, never spoil for the rest of eternity from you because he's a deceiver and because he's trying to harm God's glory. He's trying to rob our benefits. So he will make that trade. He doesn't care about our happiness. You have to understand that he doesn't really truly want us happy at all. But he's calculated that one happiness is better than the other happiness. So he will gladly make us rich and give us things to harm us. In 1 John 2, and this is a passage we went over just a few weeks ago, John is writing to the church again, and he says, listen, you've got to understand, you must not love the world. 
or the things in the world. Well, why, John? Didn't God create the world? Isn't everything in this planet a part of God's plan for his children? He says, well, this, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because God has something better for us than the world. We know that, right? God's treasures are better than the world's treasures. And they're not even close. So John says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The devil's baiting the hook. And he's baiting the hook with riches and prosperity and earthly happiness, lots of friends, lots of toys, many good experiences, because he'd rather you have that than have all the treasures of following Jesus Christ. It's that simple. And it works tremendously. So when something works and you're the deceiver, you're just going to continually use that over and over and over to help hurt your people, hurt his people. So the devil wants to give us spiritual experiences. He wants to give us earthly prosperity. He also wants to give us flattery. He wants to make us feel good about ourselves. Right? Because we all want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel like we're doing a good job and we're important and prominent people. And the devil has learned that and says, I know that you want to feel important, and so I'm going to help you feel important. All the way back in Genesis, he did this to Eve. God said to Eve, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat it, you will surely die. And the serpent came along and said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's silly. Didn't God create that tree? Didn't God create that fruit? Of course, when you eat this fruit, Eve, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, you'll be better. Eve, you'll be godlier. Eve, you'll be happier. Eve, your life will be much more important if you simply disobey the commandment of God that told you not to eat his fruit. It's flattery. And he tells this to us all the time. You'll be better. You'll be happier. You'll be stronger. If you follow this plan instead of God's plan, God doesn't really know what he's talking about. God's trying to hold joy back from you. Follow this will. Follow this plan instead, and you'll be happier. And it's a trick and a tactic that works very, very well. He also tried this with another person. He tried this with the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? When Jesus was in the wilderness, he had been brought into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days. At least 40 days. And after 40 days of being in the wilderness and having no food, it says Jesus was hungry. And the devil sought his opportunity to attack Jesus at possibly his weakest moment. So the second temptation the devil did to Jesus as he took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. To die? To commit suicide? No, 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 no. Not about death. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And he leaves a little part out of there. If you look up Psalm 90, 91, he doesn't quote the whole verse. But he says, on their hands they will bear you up so that you not strike your foot against a stone. Now, Jesus, how cool would that be? Throw yourself off the temple. The angels were not going to let you hit the ground because you're the son of God. And they'll come scoop you up right before you hit the ground. It'll be this great glorified scene. Jesus, doesn't that sound like a great plan? Of course, Jesus said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, Satan. This is not why I'm here, Satan, to glorify myself in this hour. I'm here for the will of God. But you notice how he was using flattery with Jesus Christ, saying this will be better for you. This will work out for your glory, for your benefit. Throw yourself down, let the angels rescue you, and let the whole world see that you are the Son of God. It's flattery. And sadly, it works many times. But the scriptures teach us about the devil. 
And it teaches us this. He says, no wonder, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan himself masquerades. What does it mean to masquerade? Pretend. It's like when you go to a Halloween party or you wear a mask or something like that to pretend to be someone else. It says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Did you notice that? Now, how does the world, how does Hollywood dictate the devil? How does the devil look like in Hollywood? What typically do you think of when you think of the devil? Isn't it something like this on the left? Some ominous, evil, red creature with pitchfork and horns. and He always looks that kind of way, right? That's the devil. The devil's going to look like the devil. He's going to look really bad and evil. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. Make no mistake about it. He's going to masquerade as an angel of light. And you find in the word of God that these antichrists are going to come very, very similar. They're going to come like wolves in sheep's clothing. Because if they look like wolves, we'll watch out for the wolves. We'll stay away from the wolves. But if the devil looks like an angel of light and he has flattery and spiritual experiences and earthly prosperity to give us, we might entertain those offers. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. So the devil's very crafty, very crafty, very meticulous, very calculated in his attacks. And the devil is trying to hurt us, every single one of us, by deceiving us. So John says, as I write things, these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. What is John's end game? What is John's goal? He wants us to avoid the deception. Stay away from the pitfall. Stay away from the traps that the devil is laying out for us. For us. In fact, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded. Don't be drunk. It doesn't mean just with alcohol. Don't be drunk on anything in the world that would impede your ability to see the traps laid out by the devil. Be sober-minded and be alert. Be looking for them every day of your life. Be looking for the traps of the devil. Be looking for the deception that is around you. He says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to distract Deter? Detain? Devour. He has one big goal in mind, our eternal death. He's not going to be happy until that happens. So he's going to work, he's going to learn, he's going to use every trick in the book so that he can destroy us. And so the word of God is helping us understand today that we need to be careful and we need to watch out for the lion the roaring lion that is seeking to devour us, those who are trying to deceive us. And I believe he's basically telling us today, don't give him any more ammo. Don't give him any more help. Don't make his job any easier by being lazy or complacent or looking for the things of this world. Stay on the course, watch out for the devil, and he will not deceive you. One of the best ways to avoid the deception of the devil comes from Ephesians chapter 6. If you've read this passage, Paul says to the church, put on the whole armor of God, which is a spiritual armor. It's not physical pieces of armor, of course. It's spiritual armor like prayer, scripture, the church, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because without it, you can't. Without prayer, without scripture, without church, when we take shortcuts, when we don't put the armor on, and we try to stand against the wiles of the devil, we're not strong enough. We're not equipped enough. We're not determined enough. 
So we need God's armor, and God's armor was sent to protect us against the wiles of the devil. And if we use them, and if we use them regularly with faithfulness and consistency, we will be protected. God's promise is upon that. Put the whole armor of God on, and you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the deceiver's game. Now we're going to learn about our sufficient Jesus. One of the best ways to avoid the deception is to stay near who? Jesus. You know what I do when I take my kids out in public? One instruction I give them every single time we go out in public is stay near mommy and daddy. Stay near us. No matter where we go, no matter where we are, stay near us, okay? Don't wander off. Don't go down an aisle in the grocery store without us. Always stay near us. And that's eight kids. I have to corral eight kids every time we go in public. And that's a hard task for eight kids to stay in line like that. But I'm trying to help them avoid those who could possibly harm them or even self-harm by staying near the one who can take care of them. John says, the anointing that you have received. This anointing that he keeps bringing up is God's mark. God's mark upon our life. Did you know that every true Christian has God's mark upon our life? We do. And it's called the anointing. It's called being anointed by God. Now, back in the days where there were kings, they had these things called signet rings. And the signet ring was an easy way for the king to notify whoever he was talking to that his letter came from the top, came from the king. So they had these signet rings, and they would take the signet ring and put it into hot wax, stamp that hot wax on an envelope, and then send it to whoever was going to receive that letter. And that way, when you knew you got the letter, it had the king's mark upon it, that it came from the king, it's very important, and you should pay attention to that letter. Well, did you? every Christian, every child of God has this mark upon them, and it's called being anointed. By who? That's right, and how does he do it? By the Holy Spirit. The way that you know you're a Christian is not because you remember the time that you trusted in Christ. Because that can be false, that can be faked. The Spirit also wants to give you spiritual experiences. Well, the way that you know that you are a true child of God is that you have the Holy Spirit. Is that you can do things that you otherwise are unable to do. Understand Scripture. Avoid sin. Love your enemies. Forgive. All the fruits of the Spirit that he talks about in Galatians. That is the mark of God upon our lives. And that's why the Word of God wants us to know that we have that mark. We have that anointing so that we know we have the ability to stand up to the devil. Not in our strength, but in God's. He says the anointing that you have received when you trusted in Christ abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, have you ever had anything that remained with you your whole life? Your whole life, from from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. Now, I'm a sports fan. Anyone else sports fan like to follow a certain team? Well, when I was little, my, my father cheered for a team called the University of Michigan. And I just met some people from Michigan. Yeah, he's, boo, you're from Michigan. Um, my dad started his ministry in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and so he started to cheer for this team called the Michigan Wolverines. I was actually born in Michigan, and so were my two siblings. And so our whole life, we started to cheer for this team called the Michigan Wolverines. And then I started my ministry in the same town my dad did, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was really excited about that because I thought, well, now I can go to all their games. I can really enjoy Michigan football. And the problem was, is what, as soon as I moved to Ann Arbor, they started to stink. <laughs> Royally stink. Like so bad, they were an embarrassment, and I didn't want to go to their games anymore. 
And I actually said to Janine one day, I said, listen, am I stuck with this team for life? Am I stuck being a Michigan fan for life? And she said, you're stuck. She said, you can't leave. You can't cheer for anyone who's winning. That's what's called a fair weather fan or a bandwagon fan. So I was stuck cheering for Michigan. Now, the great thing about sports is sometimes they circle back and they get good again, and that happened for Michigan. But did you ever have anything abide with you for the remainder, the entirety of your life? If you've been a sports fan, you know what that's like. John wants us to understand that as soon as we have this anointing from God, it remains with us. It abides with us for the remainder of our life. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, we sometimes gloss over these amazing blessings of God. That is one of the biggest blessings we've ever received as Christians, is God's anointing, God's mark, God's promised Holy Spirit within our souls. Why is that? Because people like us should not be able to defend ourselves against the greatest deceiver of all time. And God knows that. God knows we're too weak. We're too fragile. We're too uneducated. We're too careless. We're too lazy. We're too sinful. So he puts this Holy Spirit within us, his Holy Spirit, to help us do things that we otherwise cannot do on our own strength. And he says, from the moment you believe to the moment your life ends, you will have this anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will help you in so many profound ways avoid the deception of the devil. So it's a lifetime warranty. We have this lifetime warranty called the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, you get it. And if you don't get it, that means something went wrong. Something didn't actually take place because the anointing of the Holy Spirit will change your life. When we talk about my life being changed, that's what happened. When the Holy Spirit came into my life at age 26, guess what happened to my life? It changed. My thoughts changed. My desires changed. My disciplines changed. My loves changed. Who I spent time with changed. The practices, the habits, the hobbies all changed. And not overnight. It was a process. It's still a process. But that anointing of that Holy Spirit helps me do things that God can only do. And that's an amazing blessing from heaven. John says, The anointing that you have received from him abides in you. It will be yours until the end. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. And I just think I preached myself out of a job there, it looks like. <laughs> so that's it. That's it for the lesson. That's it for Crossroads Church. Thanks for coming. We're glad you were here. No, Matt, that was Matthew's joke. Matthew told me to do that. So if you don't like that joke, if that was out of line, let Matthew know. He's, he's my intern. Is that what John is saying? You have no need that anyone should teach you. Therefore, pastors and teachers and writers and commentators, they're all worthless. No, that's not what he means. What he's basically saying is you have no need that anyone should teach you outside of the anointing. The anointing is from God, and everyone who helps you understand that process by following Christ and learning from his scripture is a part of that anointing, a part of that gift from God. What he's basically telling you is you don't have to outsource. You don't have to contract. You don't have to farm out your teaching. You can get it right from the Lord, right from his scripture, right from his pastors, right from his teachers. And sadly, in this world that we live in, that's happening. And it's happening at a rampant rate. We're going to other places for our truth, aren't we? It's happening. And it's happening even in churches. We're not finding exactly what we want. We think we need more truth. And so we're going to those 
who we think can help us. The problem is, is can they help us? Truly understand truth? No, because they all have an agenda. Whether you believe in one of these over the other, that's not my point. Whether you ever gain something from them is not my point. What John is warning us of is we don't need to outsource our learning God's truth. We get it right from the fountain. We drink right from the fountain. And I know we're all thirsty. We're thirsty for truth. I am thirsty for truth. We live in a world that is thirsty for truth. We are asking for someone to give us a drink of truth. Please show me how to think. Show me how to live. Show me how to function. And the word of God is telling us today, I have it. And it's entirely sufficient. Come get it. Take a drink. And take a long drink. And take many drinks. Over and over and over. And whenever you're thirsty, come and drink. Because my truth is sufficient. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to look to anyone else. You don't have to farm out your truth to someone else. You get it right from God, right from the Holy Spirit, right from those who can help you understand it. And isn't that a beautiful gift of God? That we can get our truth directly from God. And that is my encouragement to you as a pastor, is get your truth directly from the source, directly from the fountain. It doesn't mean don't ever watch the news. That's not what I'm saying. Don't ever watch media. It just means be careful. Be careful how much time you spend. Be careful how much resources you give to someone who can't truly help you. Because notice what he says. I keep hitting the wrong slide there. Notice what he says. He says his anointing teaches you about everything. Now, does it literally mean everything like how to build a car and how to build a host? No, it's, it's telling you it teaches you everything you need to do to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. And not only is it everything, but it's true. And it is no lie. Can CNN say that? Can Fox News say that? Can YouTube say that? Can any of the news sources on this planet say that they teach you about everything pertaining to God? They're always true and there is no lie. No, none of them can say that. And if they do say it, guess what they're doing? They're lying. <laughs> but guess who can say that and validate it? God himself. The word of God, which he's told us is the sufficient word of God. It's everything that you need. Now, it doesn't pertain everything that means God's whole mind is within these books. That's not what John is saying because God's whole mind cannot be contained in one book. But everything we need to be Christians, everything we need to do to follow and function as Christ followers are within the 66 books of divine revelation. And again, we're hungry. We're hungry. We want truth. We want someone to feed us. We want more. Give me more. You ever thought that? Going, man, I wish someone would talk about this deeper, at greater length. You guys remember that movie from, uh, is it Oliver Twist? Where this little orphan boy goes up and he's hungry. He wants more food and says, please, sir, I want some more. And it doesn't go well for little Oliver. But God, if we're hungry today, is telling us, once again, my vineyard is sufficient. And it's all yours. If you want it, come and eat. If you want to eat a lot, come and eat a lot. If you want to eat every day, if you want to eat several times a day, over and over, you can fill yourself, you can nourish yourself with the word of God. We have access to it right here. I have several Bibles in my house. I have some that are digital Bibles. I have commentaries. I have many ways to learn God's truth, to feed myself, to satisfy my thirst. And John says, abide in him. Abide in him. Sunday, once a week, is that abiding in Jesus? No, it's not. 
Sunday and Wednesday, twice a week, is that abiding in Jesus? No, it's not. Abiding in Jesus means you eat regularly. You drink regularly, over and over. He says in Luke 12, Jesus speaking, he says, Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. A bedroom? No, the kingdom. It's my pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. If you want it, if you want anything from God, come and get it. You guys know that with my children, my eight children, they can open up the cabinets. No, we, we don't always let them, but they, everything we have in our house belongs to our family, belongs to our children. It's all for them. Everything we own, everything that I own, whether I believe it or not, belongs to my children. My children can and do take it because they're mine and I'm theirs and everything that I own is theirs. And Jesus says, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. Therefore, sell your possessions and give to the needy. You don't need it. You don't need anything from this world. Does it mean it's all wrong and all bad to own and possess? No, that's not what it means. But it means we need to change our mind and change our perspective to what we truly want and what we truly need and what we truly long for. Is it Jesus? Is it the word of God? Are we abiding in him? We've talked about the deceiver's game. We've talked about our sufficient Jesus. Now we're going to talk about the result of abiding in him. What happens when we abide in this Jesus? Because John says, And now little children abide in him. There it is. The power of abiding, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. There's a storm in our world, and the storm is intensifying. It's a storm of deception. It's a storm of spiritual starvation. And this storm is intensifying. And it's all around us. And all you have to do is take a look out your door. Take a look at the media. Read the newspapers. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your coworkers. The storm is intensifying. It's getting worse and worse and worse. But thankfully, we have a solution. Abide in your home. And it doesn't mean your physical home here upon the earth. It means abide in Christ, the one who protects you from all the chaos, from all the lies, from all the deception. Stay with Jesus. Stay near Jesus. Stay next to Jesus. Stay learning from Jesus. Stay drinking from Jesus. Stay eating from Jesus. Be near his feet every day, many times a day, so that you do not get swept away by the storm. We've heard this adage, right? Keep your friends close. And your enemies closer, I think the concept is, is you don't want your enemies to do things behind your back, so make sure you know where they are. Well, I would say this. Keep your Lord closest. Right? Closest. Friends are good. Enemies keep an eye on them. But keep your Lord closest. One of the most beautiful doctrines in the Word of God, one of the most beautiful gospel truths I've ever understood is this concept of reconciliation. You guys ever heard that term before? Reconciled. Reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, Paul implores the people of God to be reconciled to God. Be brought near to God. Come near God. Be next to God. In Romans 5, it says, while we were enemies... 
we were reconciled to God simply by faith in the Son of God. As soon as you believe in Jesus, you're brought near to God. He says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Where is the salvation? It's in Jesus. It's next to Jesus. It's, it's near Jesus. That's where the salvation is. That's why when we get to heaven, we always must be with Jesus. And that's the greatest thing about the kingdom of heaven is Jesus is always there. We're always with him. The, the storm can never get us for the rest of eternity. The bad guys are gone. The storm of God's wrath is gone. We're with Jesus for the rest of eternity. And this is what God does. We're over here. We start over here. I'm going to use a different color. That's hard to see. And God is over here. And we have this chasm in between us. And we need to get to where God is because that's where the safety is. That's where the salvation is. But we're sinners and we can't leap this, can we? Now, if we all tried, okay, and this is not a good idea. Do not try this at home. If we all went to the Grand Canyon and decided to try our best to jump the chasm, some of us would outjump each other, wouldn't we? The younger ones, the more athletic people, would go further than the older people. It's hard to say it, older people. But guess what would happen to all of us? We'd all die. We'd all fall to our death because that chasm cannot be leaped. The chasm of sin and death cannot be leaped by mere man, can it? Who must close that chasm for us? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's a term that we call reconciliation. I'm not going to even write that. That's too chunky. Reconciliation is being brought next to God, having that chasm closed and closed for good. We go from sinners to with God and with his family. And John is going, remember when that happened? Remember when you were reconciled to God? Where should we stay? He says, abide. Abide in God. Abide near Christ. Abide near the one who reconciled you. He says, little children, abide in him. Don't just learn about him once a week. Don't just learn about him a couple times a week. Don't just get saved and go on with your life. He says, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. No one wants to do that, right? When Jesus comes back going, oh, I should have been in church. I should have read that Bible. I should have forgave that person. I should have prayed. Boy, I should have stayed away from that sin. Does anyone want to say that when Jesus Christ comes back? No one wants that, right? No one wants to shrink at him and shame at his coming, going, today, you're coming back today, in this season, right now, Jesus? This is not a good season for me to see you. Some of us are going to hear this, and I believe this church had one of those people, Pastor Mark Clements, who abided in Jesus, remained in Jesus, faithfully followed Jesus his whole life. Most of his life. And probably heard this from his Lord at the end of his life. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because Pastor Mark was so equipped, but so knowledgeable, so, so faithful in all his duties. No, because he simply abided in the one who, who is. In the one that can accomplish all the good things for us. Peter tells his readers, he says, listen, if you do abide, if you do abide, you will bear all these kinds of fruits for God. And then when Jesus comes back, he'll recognize his mark upon you, and you will receive a rich welcome to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will hear the same words 
well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you climbed perfectly, not because you ran perfectly, not because you disciplined perfectly, because you simply abided in the one who is safe, in the one who is holy, in the one who is godly in all things. <laughs> We're setting our bar too low in this culture. We really are. And I, I get the logic of it. You set the bar low, you're a winner every time, just like that dog is cruising right over that bar. We're getting our hands stamped. We're saved. We're forgiven. We're on our way. Now we go back to our life, and it's a very, very low bar. And we're all wondering, why are we struggling so much? Like, why so much disease? Why so much depression? Why so much anxiety? Why so many suicidal thoughts? Why am I floundering? Why am I struggling? Well, maybe because we set the bar so low. Maybe because it doesn't require God to jump that bar. Because you know where God sets the bar? Way up. <laughs> Remember what it says in 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. Jesus reiterated, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Where's that bar? It's way, way up. And why is it way up? So that we struggle getting over the bar? No, so that we need God's help to reach it. The only way we can reach that bar, the only way we can become like Jesus is by Jesus. Through Jesus. Jesus helping us. Jesus helping us get over that bar. Now, he doesn't just do it for us, doesn't do the work for us, but he enables us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his might. He gives us his wisdom. And he enables us to do things we otherwise would be impossible to do. And guess what happens with all these petty things down here? We get over them. Because we're going way above that. We're going striving to something higher and greater than this world could even understand. We're going to Christ-likeness. The term is called sanctification. And by setting that bar high and needing God's help to get over that bar, we conquer all the little bars in this world. We leap right over them. And God built it that way because he loves us. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Our last question before we close today is what does it mean to abide? Because that's the whole lesson today. The power of abiding. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And we're going to cruise by this because we don't have time to flesh this out exactly, but John 15, one of my absolute favorite passages of all time, Jesus is using a metaphor, an illustration of what it looks like to live this Christian life, to follow Jesus, and he says this, he says in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You're already saved because you believed. Now that you are saved, now that you have believed, abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's not flattering, is it? That's the opposite of flattering. It's the opposite of how the devil would tell us, going, you're great, you can do everything, you're, you're self-sufficient, just reach the bar on your own, you're fantastic, good job, star for everybody. God says, no, 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 the bar is way up, way up. In fact, it's Christ-likeness that we're striving for, it's Christ-likeness that we're reaching for, and without Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. But guess what happens if you abide in Jesus? You can bear much fruit. Fruit of what? What are these fruits that he's talking about? Well, fruits of righteousness. Things that please God. Things that offer God worship and praise. 
We have to have this fruit at the end of our life. We have to have that mark upon our life that we were Christ's, we followed Christ, we listened to Christ, we are of the family, and that's going to be these fruits of righteousness that God looks for from our life so that he can gather and receive a tremendous amount of glory. How do we receive these fruits of righteousness? Muscles? Determination? Not really. We abide. We abide. We recognize who's capable of bearing all the fruits, and we stay near him, and we learn from him. And whatever he says, we do. Wherever he goes, we follow. Whatever he says, avoid, we stay away from him. Because he's the only one that can jump the bar. He's the only one that can bear the fruit that God demands. And here we have this, two of these truths in Scripture coming together. We just learned that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But Paul reminds us in excuse me, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How are we living today? Are we flourishing? Are we succeeding? Are we thriving? Are we seeing abundance of fruit? Or are we struggling? Are we thirsty? Are we desperate? Are we struggling? Are we anxious? Are we all kinds of bothered by things in this world? Maybe the answer is we're not abiding. Because the promise is that if we abide, when we abide, we can do all things. And when we don't abide, we can do nothing. Our theme through the book of 1 John is for his glory and for our benefit. And every week, every lesson, we find one of these things that does both. Well, I believe God is glorified when we recognize that we need his power, his grace, and his son to accomplish anything. Is there going to be anyone in heaven patting themselves on their back going, Wow, boy, did I really nail that. Anybody? I'm telling you, Pastor Todd's not going to be doing that. Pastor Todd is not going to be patting himself on the back. Where am I going to be casting this crowns? To the one who deserves it, to the one who bore all the fruit, to the one who really got over the bar, to the one who really beat the devil, to the one who really taught me everything that I once knew. Jesus looked at him and said, with man this is impossible, it's true, but with God all things are possible. Do you believe that? Do you believe we can win the world? Do you believe we can win the North Country? Do you believe we can help this entire dark humanity around us see the light of Jesus Christ? With God we can. With God we can, if we will abide. But it's also for our benefit, because when we accomplish much, and we will if by abiding, it will be proven that we are of Jesus. When he looks at our life and says, wow, you, that's a lot of fruit that came from your life. I can't believe you were able to say no to the devil. I can't believe you were able to be holy and love your enemies and forgive those people that harmed you. And then we realize Jesus did it through us. I didn't, I didn't do that. I'm not capable of that. In fact, God gave me a long stretch of my life where he let me realize how incapable I was. So that when the light switch went on and the Holy Spirit started to abide in me, I started to realize what I could accomplish by God's strength. And the two weren't even close to each other. And that's when I learned, and that lesson has stuck with me, that if I want to accomplish much for God, and I do, and I hope that you do as well, Jesus will do it through me. And I will, be, I will be benefited for the rest of eternity. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Not little fruit. Not, yeah, I, I guess they're a Christian. I guess if I look really close, I can tell. No, 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 much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So that the whole world can go, wow, man, I don't like Christ, but man, they're definitely Christians. I can tell by how they speak. I can tell by how they act. I can tell by what they care about. I can tell by how they're disciplined. And we're proved that we belong to Jesus Christ. 
Our application today is very simple. They go along with our three points. Number one, do not be lured into the darkness. Stay near Jesus. Don't talk to strangers. Don't feed the lions. Don't go on detours. Don't listen to CNN and YouTube and Fox News. Stay near Jesus. Number two, find everything you need at the feet of Jesus. Go right to the fountain. Go right to the vineyard. Eat and drink from him primarily, directly, over and over and over. And you will notice something. Your life begins to change when that happens. When you discipline yourself, and it's hard. It's hard to discipline yourself, to wake up every day and go, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to study my Bible. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to go to church every time it's open. I'm going to make sure that I'm there every single time because I want Jesus' help. And I want to abide. And I want to be nourished and strong. Number three, have confidence of judgment day by being in Jesus. Do you notice a pattern here? You're Christians. You're saved. God has given you his mark. God has given you eternal life. And then he gives us one single piece of advice for the rest of our lives. Stay near Jesus. Don't lose sight of him. Don't lose track of him. Don't get distracted. Don't go on detours. Wherever he goes, you go. Whatever he says, you do. Whatever he says to avoid, listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. And the only way that you will find Jesus is by doing the things he taught us to do. Study Pray, meditate, and be with the family of God. And then rinse and repeat. Over and over and over. And by this, you will avoid the storm. You will be tucked into the safe arms of Jesus and God forevermore. You will abide. You will abide in the safety. And in that way, we will find the power we need to abide. And to accomplish everything that God has called us to do. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Let's bow in prayer and give this to the Lord and ask for his help. Father, this is a simple lesson. It's, it's, it's not for highly educated people to learn that we need to stay near Jesus, and that's the point of it. Because you wrote this for everyone. You gave this instruction for everyone, and it is simple, so that we don't have to learn a 10-step program. We simply have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Father, I pray for myself, and I pray for this whole church that we would continue to abide. I believe this church is abiding. But I think we have much to do, Father, and I think we need divine help from above in order to accomplish it. And I pray that we would learn this one simple lesson. Abide, abide, abide. Don't take shortcuts. Don't take days off. Find Jesus and stay near him for the rest of our lives. And we, by your promises, will accomplish much for your glory, bear much fruit, conquer the devil, and be holy as Christ is holy. Thank you for that promise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.